Boy, I, I echo what Matt was just saying about <laughs> when you really ponder what God has done for us and why he would do it. It's amazing. Well, how many of you stayed up last night to watch the game? You, guys, you know what? It's interesting. I asked the same question in the first service and a bunch of people raised their hand, but they looked a lot tireder than you. Some of you guys had a little longer maybe to uh, get woke up. But it's interesting watching the game last night and watching games like that over the years that, you know, there's, there's the way everybody thinks the game's going to go, right? You know, there's someone who's chosen as a favorite and how they think this is going to work and who's going to do what to make it happen. And, but sometimes when you watch the game, all of a sudden something happens. Someone makes a play or someone gets injured or something happens and all of a sudden you can like feel it. Something has changed, right? And, and the, the momentum shifts in a different direction and it, it doesn't go the way it was going anymore. And, and we call those things game changers, right? Rightly so, very literally, game changers. And I think about my life and what were the game changers in my life? And um, obviously receiving Christ as Savior was the, the, the biggest game changer ever. I was 19 years old and I understood the gospel. I heard explained to me and I got it that I had sinned. That was easy to get. I had sinned and was sinning against a holy God and, and my sins had separated me from God and I was spiritually dead to God and, and that if I died in that condition, I would be paying the penalty for those sins for all eternity. And then hearing the message how God loved me so much that he sent his son into the world to, to live this perfect and sinless life and then die on the cross and take my sins, the guilt, the blame for my sins, the penalty for my sins, and die there paying that penalty and then rising again from the dead and then offering to me the opportunity that if I would acknowledge my need and humble myself before him and that I could receive Christ as Savior. And, and when I did that, April 4th, 1975, that, that he forgave every sin and, and that he gave me eternal life. I'm going to live with him forever when this life is over and that he actually moved in he moved in and changed me profoundly and, and, and began a work in my life that's ongoing today. That was a huge game changer. Changed everything. Then there's another thing, though, that, that was a huge game changer for me. Um, and it has changed my life so profoundly and still is affecting my life so profoundly. I want to talk to you about that here today. But let's just do a little review. We talked last week, and let's start off with the question of, you know, what is a genuine Christian? How, what would, you know, make someone a genuine Christian, the real deal kind of Christian? And we said that it would make sense to go back and look in the Bible to, to the first Christians, the ones who walked with Jesus and say, you know, what were they like? Because hopefully we'd find a picture there of, of real, genuine Christians. And we discover that in the book of Acts, those Christians who had walked with Jesus and are now living out all that he had taught them, uh, they weren't called Christians. They weren't. They were called the way. The way. And it's interesting. I think that that communicates to us a couple of things. One is that uh, 
that there is not just a way, a way to believe, there is the way we ought to believe, right? There's not just a way we ought to live our lives, there's the way that we ought to live our lives. Uh, and this probably all traces back to Jesus having identified himself by saying, I am the, I am the way, the truth and the life, but I am the way. And so there is a way to live, the way to live and to be a genuine Christian. And obviously, Christ is the one who told us how to do that. And so last week we looked into that in the Gospel of Luke, and man, it's one of those passages that just hits you between the eyes and you gotta say, wait a minute, what, what am I gonna do with this? Because Jesus said, if you wanna be my disciple, if you're going to follow me, you must be willing to walk away from your family to do so. Now you may not have to do that, but you need to be ready and willing to. You've already made the choice that if it comes to following me, Jesus, or your family, you are choosing me. You need to settle that issue. And he says this, he says, if you don't settle that issue, you cannot, that's a strong word, you cannot be my disciple. And they said, on that, you need to be willing to suffer and if need be, die for him and suffer terribly and suffer in a way that the world looks down on you and devalues you. And he says, if you are not willing to do that, if he, he said, you gotta settle this issue. Be ready, do it. And if you aren't going to settle that issue, you cannot be my disciple. And then he went on, he summed it all up. He said, really, in fact, all these things, you have to forsake everything that you have. Not only all your possessions, but your relationships, your opportunities, your dreams, whatever. You gotta forsake everything. And by forsaking means you let go of them. I've already made the decision. If Jesus, I'm choosing you, not these things. Now, he may leave those things in your control. If he does, that's fine. But you've already settled it. You know what I mean? Because you've already let go. You're not just willing to let go, you've already let go. And Jesus says, if you, if you won't do that, if you don't do that, you cannot, cannot be my disciple. That's pretty tough stuff, isn't it? And he goes on, he says, and here's the, he says if, if you're not going to do this, if you're gonna to try to be my disciple on your terms, in other words, if you want, well, I'm gonna pick and choose what I like, and I, I like this part of being a Christian, but I'm not going with that. He said, don't waste your time. He said, you're like salt that isn't salty anymore. It's not good for anything, it's worthless. So I say to you here today, based on what Jesus said, not what Walt says, my sense would be, oh, come on, let's all keep coming and let's all be happy. But Jesus is telling us that if we aren't gonna go all in with him, then don't bother. Now, if you're here today and you say, well, man, I got questions and, and you know, I need, a, that's awesome. I'm not talking about you. Or if you're saying, I, I'm struggling and I, I want to do this, but I have these struggles. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about if you're here today and you know what's going on, you get it and you say, no, no, my terms, not Jesus. Don't bother. Just, just quit. That's what Jesus says to you, Okay. And so we saw that, that this first idea about being a genuine Christian comes down to the idea of surrender. And so we said, we surrender to the Lord. 
If we're going to be followers of Christ, this has to be settled. We do this. I surrendered to the Lord April 4th, 1975, the initial surrender. When I finally said, okay, I get it. I can't save myself. I need you. And I receive Christ as Savior. And, and then trying to live out this surrender day in and day out and having to be reminded to live it out and, and not always succeeding at it. And, but it's, it's, it's where I'm at and my desire is to be there. So we surrender to the Lord. But surrender is really just like the birthplace of your Christianity. It's the starting point. And it's, it's just like when I got saved, received Christ as Savior, that was the starting point for everything else, this huge game changer. And, and then um, every time I've surrendered, lived out that surrender, or remind myself of surrendered again, that's always the starting point for something. Surrender is the starting place. <clears throat> and what it leads to is this. Think of a little baby. A little baby, from the moment it is conceived, begins what? Growing. It is wired to grow, isn't it? It's in its DNA to grow. And it grows for the nine months it's in the womb, and then the baby's born, and it continues to grow, and really grow pretty rapidly. And it is, babies will grow unless something goes wrong. You know, as long as what the baby needs is in place, in, in the womb, as long as the placenta is working and the, the nutrition is getting across, it will work. As long as the, there isn't some genetic, mis, you know, malfunction, uh, which that's out of our control. But as long as the, uh, when the baby is born, as long as the baby is fed and provided with nutrition, a baby that isn't provided with nutrition doesn't flourish, right? Eventually, it could become sick or die from it. A baby that, uh, if a baby is held and loved, it will, you know, really help that child to grow emotionally. If it's not held in love, it may not thrive and may struggle emotionally in life. Um, protected, if the baby is not protected, like if a baby is allowed to be cold and stay cold, that can really, you know, do damage. On and on it goes. But here's the thing. As long as we are providing the basics that this, this child needs, the child will grow. So we're talking about growth here today. Surrender is the starting place. And then we, as newborn babes in Christ, we are wired to grow. And we will grow as long as the things that we need are in place. Now, before I talk to you about those things, let me, a couple of things you need to understand about growing. Growth always includes change. How many of you in here say, you know what, the one thing I really look forward to in life and so enjoy is change? One, anybody else? That's about the same percentage as the first service. <laughs> change can be scary to us. We aren't sure we like change, right? You know, we like the changes we like. We don't like the changes we don't. So this whole idea of change. But there is no growth without change. In fact, if you look at uh, uh, your, your son or daughter and you look at them and you say, wow, he or she has really grown, how do you know that? And maybe you're looking at a picture from before. You know they've grown because something has changed. Their size has changed, how they look, their appearance has changed, maybe how they're talking. They, growth always requires change. I mean, it just goes along with it. And I, I would say this, that, that change, um, 
as we grow, things always change. But there's another truth and it's a little harder truth and that's that sometimes we have to choose to make a change in order to grow, okay? But there is no growth without change. And then growth is change in a specific direction. We see as a child, as a child grows and, and you know, we're, we see them want you know, to, to grow to maturity and not uh, have problems. And we would see, see this, this, especially in the womb or afterwards, if, if, if growth occurs in directions that are not the right direction, we end up with deformities, right? So there, there is a growth. And we're not talking about cookie cutter growth in the right direction because we, we have uniquenesses to us, different uh, ways and we, we're, we're different, but it's all gotta be growth in the right direction. And so when we think of the Christian life and growth, we surrender to the Lord and that that, by the way, surrender to the Lord is the starting place for growth. It implies that growth is going to occur and needs to occur. And I would also say you can't grow if you don't surrender. You can't grow if you say, I'm gonna do this on my terms. No, you gotta to surrender to God on it first. But so, what does it mean for Christians? What is the direction of growth for Christians? Well, in Ephesians chapter four, the apostle Paul talking about this, says he's talking about that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ, growing in every way more and more what? Like Christ becoming more like Christ. That is the direction of growth for us as a Christian. I mean, you think there's lots of ways we might think about growth, as, but ultimately, it's about becoming more like Christ. And by that, we don't mean more like him in physical appearance. Uh, we don't mean more like him, that he's omnipotent and all powerful, that, that God stuff. What we mean is the way he was as a human being. We start to discover that um, our thoughts when we grow, our thoughts begin to match his thoughts more and more because we're changing our thoughts and aligning with his thoughts. Our hearts begin to change, to line up with his heart and begin to match that. Our desires, what we want in life most, begins to change and begins to line up with what he wants. The way we do things begins to line up with the way Jesus says those things ought to be done. Our plans, our purposes, all these things begin to align more and more with the Lord. So this idea of when we talk about growth, we say we surrender to the Lord. This brings us to the second thing. We grow to be like the Lord. And you've heard these before from us. And we don't want you to forget them. This is very purposeful. We grow to be like the Lord. And if we aren't becoming more like the Lord, then we aren't growing in the right direction. And that's a spiritual deformity that will cause us problems. Now, when Jesus was here on earth, he walked around with these disciples and he taught them what these things were. You know, okay, let's do this this way and let's fine tune that and oh, that's not the way we wanna go. And, and you know, he could evaluate each of them and help each of them and talk to them and he left. Okay, he, he, he left the earth. And when he left, he purposely left some things behind for us that... The word that comes to mind is that he left to replace himself, but he didn't replace himself. It isn't like that, that's not the best word. But he left things for us because he was going. 
Okay? And these things are essential for our growth. These three things, essential for our growth. God's word, God's people, God's spirit. Go ahead and put that up if you would. These things are essential. So he was God's son, and when God's son left, he left us God's word, and he left us God's people, and he left us God's spirit. These three things are essential. And they're interrelated. They all affect each other. But all three are necessary. Just like a little baby needs different kinds of things to be safe and healthy and grow, so there are different things that we need. Now, uh, what I want to do today is talk to you about the first of these three things, God's word. If we are going to grow to be like the Lord, and if we're gonna be a genuine Christian, a real Christian, then the word of God needs to have its rightful place in our lives. And, and let me just say this up front. When I talked about this being a game changer, this, this thing today, receiving Christ as savior, but then being exposed to the Bible, the word of God, and being taught, taught it and, and take it into my life. And this has been, after receiving Christ as Savior, the most profound game changer in my life. It has affected everything and still is affecting everything to this day. And only in good ways. And let me say this up front. I have plenty of regrets in life. But I can guarantee you that I have never, any decision I've made to take in God's word, to understand God's word, to live by God's word, I have never regretted one of those decisions. Because God's word is so powerful and, and, and profound for us in our lives. So what I wanna do right now, over the next few minutes here, is talk to you about, you know, why God's word? What, what's the deal? Why God's word? Well, we wanna look at what it is, what God's word is. And then we wanna look at what it does. And then finally, we're gonna look at uh, what do we need to do to let God's word have its proper place in our lives. So let's start off with what is God's word. Well, Peter wrote about this in one of his letters and he described the scripture this way. He says that holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being God, his spirit. And so what it's telling us is that what's written in this book is not just the words of men. This is what God wanted written down. Okay, so the pushback on this is, is always that, well, wait a minute. If people wrote it, what do we know about people? What do we know about people? Do they always get everything right? No, they're all the time getting things wrong, even if they get a lot right. So there's, you know, this is still people's words. There has to be mistakes and problems with it. But last week we talked about God as creator of everything in the universe. And let's just settle this. If there is a creator God who created everything you see, how hard would it be for him to help people get it right? It would be no problem for God, would it? It's not a problem for God. 
uh, to you know, enable people to write down what he wants written down. And so this is what he did. This is what the Bible tells us that he did. The Holy Spirit moved these people who, who were committed men, surrendered to God, and he moved in their lives and he used their personalities and their vocabulary. And, and in the circumstances they were in, he had them write what he wanted them to write. And he prevented them from writing things he didn't want written. And he made sure that they wrote what he did want written. So, so these things come, the word of God has come from God. It's not just the words of people. Okay. So let's take our Bibles now and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's page 1368 in the Bible that's there in the chairs. And we encourage you to follow along with us. If you don't have your own Bible, grab one of those and, and turn to page 1368. Or if you have your Bible, but it's a different translation and you want to try to follow along easier, you can use one of those Bibles as well. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God and that's a generic use of man. We could say the woman of God, the person of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So let's go back up and walk our way through this. All scripture, how much scripture? All scripture from Genesis, the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, all of it inspired by God. God has given us all of it, very purposefully given us all of it. This means that the New Testament is not more inspired than the Old Testament. The red letters are not more inspired than the black letters. It is all inspired by God, given to us by God. Now, do you always feel like that? Have you ever read a passage of scripture that you didn't? But I'm not getting ahead of myself. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, Andy, is what? Profitable. Have you ever read a passage of scripture that didn't feel very profitable? This guy beget that guy, and this one beget that one, another one beget another one, and beget, beget, beget. Or the names of all these places, or how many rings you need to put on this curtain. And on the face of it, it doesn't seem very profitable to us, but even those things, if we understand why they're there, what they're there for in the bigger picture, and that there's a purpose for why they're there, then we realize that they are profitable. But then there are parts that obviously just speak you know, right to us. Um, my, my, do you have any favorite parts of scripture? Things that just, oh, you just really love so much. Are those profitable to you? Yeah. So is the parts that you don't like so much. That tell you things you don't like to hear. They are also profitable for you. And he says it's profitable for four things here. The first one is for doctrine. And we think of doctrine, what's your doctrine? What do you believe? And, and that's pretty a, a good idea of it, but it's not just a list of a few things. When it talks about doctrine, it's talking about what is true about everything. That's what doctrine is. What's true about the world? What's true about God? What's true about people? What's true about the principles in the world? What's true about whatever, what do we believe? What's true about angels and heaven and hell and all of those things. And it's really about getting a whole worldview. It's about how you look at the world and the way you understand that things function. Okay, this is what doctrine is about. And so if you wanna know the way things really are, open up your Bible. 
Okay, because it's profitable for that. And then the next thing it says it's profitable is for reproof. And to me, it's like, couldn't you just leave that one out? Right? Reproof is the idea. You think it with your kid, it's easy enough. But they're doing something. You say, stop that. That's not right. Don't do that. That's not the way you're reproving them. And God does that to us, too. Yeah, I, I've, I've sat in sermons where the, the preacher all of a sudden said something related from the word of God, and all of a sudden, boom. God says, see, this isn't right in your life. This needs to stop. This needs to start. I'm getting a reproof. And it's not very fun. Reproof isn't much fun. But how valuable is it? If you're headed for a cliff and someone stops you, says, don't go there. Is it good that you don't go there? Reproof is a good thing. And, but it isn't just reproof. It's for doctrine. It's for reproof. And then it says for Correction. And it's like this. I, I don't know about you, with, with, um, there were times in my life with my little kids who they wanted to go where they wanted to go or do what they wanted to do. And I'm trying to talk to them and trying to get them to, to see. And, and I would put my hand finally on their head and do this, right? I'm turning, turn their head maybe to look at me or whatever, right? But I'm correcting. It's not, we're not going this way. We're going to go that way. Correction. Now, I want you to see, this is what the Word of God is doing, because what did we say about growth? Growth is change in a specific direction. And so when I'm headed in life in ways that are not Christ-like, that don't match all those things that we talked about earlier, God says, whoa, that's not right. Stop. That doesn't belong. It needs to change. And he says, here, you need to go this way. And he's turning me toward becoming like the Lord. And then it continues, not only for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. And he says, okay, here's how we do this. And he instructs me in how to live this way. So this is what the word of God does for us. And in the end result, it says that we will be thoroughly equipped for whatever God has for us to do. Do you think you know everything that God has for you to do in your life? Do you think you're going to be confronted with situations in the future that you don't know about now? You will be. But if you will let God's word have its rightful place in your life, when you get there, you will be thoroughly equipped to deal with it and to respond to it. Doesn't mean it won't be hard, but you'll be able to do that. So this is what God's word is, what its intention was supposed to be in our lives. Well, what does it do? What does God's word do? In 1 John chapter 3, John is writing about the Lord's return to us. Okay? And he says this. He says, when he is revealed, we shall be like him. And read the rest of these words with me. Ready? For we shall see him as he is. And somehow rather, it seems to be that because we will finally see him the way he really is, that that is going to change us. It's going to finish the job to be like him. But here's what I want you to see. There seems to be some connection between seeing the Lord the way he really is and becoming more like him. See what I mean? Because he's going to be revealed. We're going to see him the way he is and we will be like him. And so the more we can see the Lord, the more clearly we can see him, the more we will become like him. And Jesus told us where this happens. 
In talking to some people who had questions about him, he says in, in the Gospel of John, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. And so Jesus tells us that in this word, this word testifies about him. And we can see him more clearly. And so as we get into the word of God and see him more clearly, we become more like him. We grow to be like the Lord. But the word of God has to have that rightful place in our lives for that to happen. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Page 1375 in the Bible in the chairs. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. It says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, boy, there's so much here, but I want you to see this, is that these are not, this is not just ink on a page, that what God says in his word is alive. It goes, it, I just, just thought it was just like um, the yogurt that has good bacteria in it. That's, that seems like a, a you know, a, Contradiction, right? Good bacteria, yeah. But the point is, it does, okay? And you get that good bacteria in you, and, and it's alive, and it works, and it does good things in you. Well, that's the way the Word of God is. It's alive. You take it in, it goes in, and, and it goes to work. And it's powerful in what it does, okay? It's sharp, and, and here's the idea. I'm not going to try to take the time to do this, but it, it cuts down through whatever needs to be cut down through, you know, this idea of joints and marrow, bones outside, inside, it cuts through the hard shell into the soft part. And, and we put up some pretty hard shells in life sometimes, don't we? About how we deal with things, how we think about things. We don't go there. We've got it all figured out. Da, da, da. And the word of God comes in and goes poof, down into, oh, wow, wait a minute. That's kind of soft and tender there. And that's what the word of God does. And it says it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We humans can rationalize things pretty good. Well, here's why I do this, or here's why I don't do this, and I get, okay, it's okay, and I have it all figured out. And the word of God comes along and goes, you're fooling yourself, here's what's really true. Oh, yeah. Because that's what the word of God will do for us. It won't let us keep fooling ourselves. It'll challenge that in our lives. And so the word of God reveals to us the things that we need to know and deal with deep down inside of us. The word of God also tells us the truth about everything that we need to know. Jesus in John 17 praying for us, he says to the Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so what, anything the word of God tells you about anything is true. It tells you the truth. And it also helps you to... Uh, See the steps that you're taking now clearly and also shows you where these steps are going to take you. By the way, that's important. Sometimes we can see the steps we're taking, but we don't realize where it's taking us. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, it's your word is a lamp to my feet and also a light to my path to show me either where I'm going or show me 
where I need to be going. The word of God also uh, enables us to be able to say yes to God and no to sin. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And and God will also use his word to to help us succeed at whatever he gives us to do. Uh, Psalm chapter one, the first psalm, uh, first scripture I ever really remember memorizing, I guess besides the 23rd Psalm as a kid, but it talks about a, a follower of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night and whatever he does shall prosper because he's following the Lord according to the word of God. And he will succeed at those things that God has given him to do. And God's word, he uses it to accomplish things in our lives. Sometimes things we don't even know or understand. In Isaiah 55, talking about his word, God says, my word shall not return to me void. And it's not gonna be wasted, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God says, I'm gonna use my, you'll take my word in. I am going to use it in your life. I'm going to accomplish some things in your life through it. So, man, and we could go on at this list. God's word is pretty amazing, isn't it? So what do we need to do? How do we need to respond? Well, Paul writing the Colossians tells them this. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So somehow we need to get the word and its wisdom into our lives. Now, what I wanna do is just use an illustration that I've used with you before. Some of you be new to, some of you it won't, but bear with me on it. What we wanna do is figure out how to get a, a, a grasp on the word of God so it gets a grasp on us. Get a hold of the word of God in a way that it gets a hold of us, all right? How are we gonna do that? Well, here's the analogy. I've got my Bible here, and so I'm just gonna lay it right in the palm of my hand and say this corresponds, it's a picture of hearing the word of God. You need to hear the word. Doing what you're doing right now. You need to hear the word of God preached to you, taught to you, okay? You need to be a hearer of the word. But the problem is this, when this is just sitting upon my hand, would it be easy to get knocked out? Yeah, I can get knocked out fairly easily, okay? Somebody can take it away. Um, And that's the way it is with you. If all you are doing is hearing the word of God, if that is the extent of the word of God you're getting into your life, you're just hearing it, you can easily get get taken away from you, okay? So you need more than that. Not only do you need to hear the word of God, and what I'm gonna do now is take it, and I have my palm against it, I'm gonna take it, my index finger here, and this, this stands for reading the word of God. You need to read it. And so between my palm and my index finger here, I have a hold of this better already. You see that? Because if I turned my hand sideways, it would have fallen off. Now I've got a hold of it. Not real good, but I got a hold of it. So you need to be reading the scriptures. Now some of you do not like to read. Some of you, if this, you know, if you have any options of what to do, reading is not on the list. Okay? But you... Does a baby, a child ever need to learn to do some things that it doesn't feel like doing? To be healthy? Yeah, it does. And so you need to figure out how to do this. And it may be 
that you can say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, uh, I'm driving the car, I'm working around the house, I'm going to turn, I'm going to get audio Bible, and I'm going to listen to it while I'm doing something else. That's better than nothing. But the idea is figure out how to be going through the Word of God. And, and uh, a number of places in the building today, there's this Bible uh, reading bookmark. They're at the Connection Center. They're out in the foyer, different places. And it's, it says there's a starting date, and you'd write the date, and then just use this as a checklist at once in a while, you know, as you read, you know, check off that book and just keep track that I need to read my Bible. Okay, if you're reading your Bible in your phone, uh, you need to find a Bible app that will help you to keep track of that stuff, and they're, they're there. So, uh, all right, so we, we are hearing it, we are reading it, and then you need to learn about it. This is where the idea of Bible study comes in. You can do some Bible study on your own, that's fine, but you know, Life Source U that we have here, that's designed to help you study the Bible. So it can get into you the way it needs to. It's a great opportunity. And so you need to be, I said, I didn't want to just call it Bible study, you need to on purpose be learning about what the Bible's about. Um, it's interesting, we send, um, we send, they go, kids off to Word of Life Bible Institute, and they spend a year there learning the Word of God, and it changes their lives. You need to be doing that, okay? Then, so then I come to my ring finger, and this ring finger uh, means hide it in your heart. You have to hide God's Word in your heart. By the way, I'm getting a better and better grip on this, and it'll get a better grip on me. So I'm hiding it in my heart, and, and how do you do that? Well, there's probably a, a, a lot of ways to do that, but one of the best is trying to memorize. Trying to memorize a verse, or trying to memorize a passage. And you notice I didn't say memorizing? What did I say? Trying to memorize, because I know some of you say, you know, I, you know I, I, it's amazing what I could memorize 20 years ago, 30 years ago. You know what, I still memorize very well. I remember it today and tomorrow. I said, what did I memorize yesterday? But trying to memorize it drives it down inside of you. It drives the words in there. It drives the meaning down inside of you. Where you may not remember it exactly, but you remember what God said. You know, you know it's what he thinks about it. And then you need to think about it a lot. The Bible calls this meditating on it. This is where you think about what you're reading, think about what you're learning. Maybe even talk with somebody else about it, another Christian or somebody, and, and because you're pondering, you're chewing on this and thinking about it, and it's gonna change the way you think, okay? Now, got a pretty good hold on this, but there's one thing that's just gonna really nail it down, and that's this thumb here. What I'm gonna do, I got my palm, my fingers, and then my thumb. Now I have a hold of this. And your thumb represents doing what the Bible says. Don't be hearers only, be doers. He says if you're hearer only, you're deceiving yourself, be a doer of the words. So you read what it says and you say, okay, I gotta put that into practice. I gotta start that, I gotta stop this, I have to change the way I'm doing it, whatever it is. Become a doer of the word. And, and as I said earlier, I cannot think of anything, any change that I have ever made because of what God said in his word that I have ever regretted. I've been glad. It's been nothing but good in my life. And it will be in yours too. So you need to get a hold of the word of God. Hearing, reading, 
studying, uh, thinking about, no, hiding in your heart, thinking about, and doing. And the word of God will get a hold of you, and you will grow. So we start with surrendering to the Lord. We surrender to the Lord. This is the way to live your life as a real Christian. We surrender to the Lord, and we grow to be like the Lord. But you have to get the word of God in, or it will not happen. And so there's two more things that are essential to our growth that we will look at over the next couple of weeks. But do something today, tomorrow, about getting the word of God into your life. You'll never regret it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and thank you so much for your word and what it, what it is and what it does. I pray, Father, we would look at where we're at and we'd take some step even if it's a small one, Father, to begin to get your word more into our lives uh, so that it can do what you intended for it to do and so we can grow to be like your son. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you. Thank you. You are dismissed.